0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn.
1: That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500.
2: There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S., and each week we focus on their stories. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans, reporting for ConnectingVets.com, the military news and veteran lifestyle website. I am Navy veteran Phil Briggs. And I'm going to follow up now on a story that first got started some time ago on CBS News, where senior investigative reporter Catherine Herridge, who covers national security and intelligence for CBS News, she covered a story about veterans that are being overlooked by the VA and, frankly, by the private insurance industry for diseases related to their toxic exposures while serving during the global war on terror. This was the story of our guest today, Army veteran Mark Jackson, a leading veteran advocate who is now sick from toxic exposure after overseas deployments to a place called K2 in Uzbekistan. He will not benefit from the recently passed PACT Act, Even though the legislation, the promise to address comprehensive toxics has been covered here extensively on this show. We've even recently spoke with Terrence Hayes, the VA's press secretary, about why it's important for veterans to file their claims now. Because the PACT Act will address many different diseases and many different conditions that are presumed to be service connected. What we have in Mark Jackson's case is nothing short of a deadly loophole. Mark Jackson, former Army CID. How you doing, brother? Good, man. Thanks for having me, Phil. I was just blown away uh, when I saw this because no sooner was the very day the president was signing the PACT Act into law, you were notified by your private insurance company, Blue Cross Blue Shield, that they're going to deny you coverage for an osteoporosis medication that costs nearly five grand a month and before i confuse things with private insurance and va just to clear this up at the top you've now been denied this osteoporosis medication which you desperately need because you get the bones of an 80-year-old woman and you are in fact only 45 years old you you've been denied by va and private insurance is that correct
3: that's correct yeah i uh, when i in fact uh, at least insurance paid for it for a year it's a two year regimen for the osteoporosis, they paid for exactly one year and it came for reevaluation. I spoke to them yesterday and sure enough, it is denied. Um, you know, working with my private physician, perhaps they'll be able to do something, but either way, there's going to be a gap in coverage no matter what. Um, and as of right now, I'm down to my last five doses. Um, so yeah, as you said, uh, bird bones, 80 year old lady bones, uh, that's, that's me. Thank God. Thank God I'm active. Otherwise, uh, otherwise I, w- I would broken more than just my toes, uh, moving into this, but I, Upon the day of my diagnosis, two years ago, uh, I, I applied for benefits to, to the VA to to get coverage because it's extraordinarily unusual for, one, a man to have osteoporosis, but also a man, at the time I was 43, when I was diagnosed, it's very unusual for a 43-year-old man to have osteoporosis. Um, VA took six weeks and denied my claim out of hand without review, without ever sending it to a doctor, um, without asking for any additional information. They simply just said, No. Now, again, that was pre packed
2: Let's look at life post packed And now that it is law, my first question to you was like, okay, how come you just don't go back to the VA? There are 20-some diseases, cancers, tumors, all kinds of lung conditions and bronchial conditions that are now covered. Why not go back to VA?
3: None, none of the things affecting me are covered. Um, this, this, this was a partial answer to a problem that is going to be ongoing for the next 50 years until we're all dead. To show you how long the government takes to act on certain things the pact act included some additional benefits for agent orange that's my father's generation of veterans i was active duty from 97 to 05 so you know that let me let me do some quick math so you know we should be somewhere around 2047 i should start getting the rest of my benefits um because it's cheaper man uh, i'm i'm you know, I hate to be cynical, um, but when your body's falling apart with you inside of it, it gets tiring. You know, if if I had one word to describe the past several years of both advocacy, um, accidental advocacy, as you and I were talking about, but uh, you know, the last couple of years of advocacy, the most common refrain that we hear is money. Is that it's expensive, and at first I was very polite. Okay, I get it. It's expensive. It's going to be, you know, we. The onus is on the veteran to prove it. You know, we can't just give presumptive condition. And what but I, I have don't to have to say to is I've, I've watched too many of my friends die, just like you. Um, you know, you're, you, you, you mentioned to me the other day, your brother died. Um, I, you know, I held my one of my friend, Rob. We, we've been friends since we were eight years old. He died of ALS when he was 36 years old. Uh, my buddy Fung, who was a Vietnamese refugee whom I served with in Afghanistan, uh, dropped dead of a heart condition that he previously didn't have until after his deployments. My buddy Jim had glioblastoma um, and died when he was 50. And I could go down a list of names like this. There's there's a lot of them. You know, I, I, I pour more drinks out than I do put down my throat um, at, at this point. So when someone tells me that there's, it's too expensive
2: And that's why I latched onto this, too, and especially your story, because uh, you've been to where my brother was stationed. You've been to Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, all these funny little stands over there were very, very early in the war. And it was uh, a staging point where Special Operations Command could really get into the parts of Afghanistan on that, I want to say, far eastern side to root out the Taliban, to root out Al Qaeda. But I skip ahead. Name for me just real quickly the four conditions you have which are not covered by this landmark legislation called the PACT Act.
3: So uh, the osteoporosis is the, the most significant um, that's, that's not covered um, at all. I mean, it's uh, you know, outright denied and it's not included in the, in, in the legislation. It's osteoporosis and osteopenia. So what that means is that my bones are both hollow and pliable. Um, I have anemia without an underlying primary cause, so it's not bloody, it's not bleeding, it's not you know some sort of uh, colorectal cancer or something like that. Because they check me, you know, once annually, top and bottom, and and then what they kind of lump under IBS, which is I guess 21st century consumption. Um, you know, if they, if, they can't, if you have a series of of symptoms with no clear cause, they simply call it uh, irritable bowel syndrome. But I can tell you that of everything i've mentioned here it's the most painful by far um and i also, i also have a systemic uh infection that comes back it manifests itself typically in my in my elbows of all things i was released from the hospital mm-hmm. 72 hours ago um where i'd been i'd spent all of august in three different hospitals trying to get the infection in my blood under control and then getting my under my my elbows back into and it's such a strange thing to say out loud right but but, but that's where the disease hides and none of those things are are covered by, by the pact act the only thing that i have had covered by the va when i came back from uzbekistan and afghanistan in oh four uh my thyroid died and i went to the va and they gave me a 10 percent rating for my thyroid um, Ten years after that, I was having some nightmares. My my wife says you should go talk to somebody. I applied uh, for uh, PTSD coverage, and I got that. So the VA pays me for my bad dreams, uh, and they pay me for my metabolism, uh, and they've denied me everything else. And the PACT Act covers none of that.
2: Wow. Again, of the five, the PTSD and the thyroid taken care of by the VA, but the rare infection, the anemia, the IBS, and the osteoporosis. Uh, no one seems to be able to pay for it. Um, let's let's dig into the genesis of all these conditions. You're an army intel guy. You're built for speed. You're bulletproof, man. It's early in the war. You're gonna go to this uh crazy base called uh K two, and um, I, I, I say it again. The two cities there in Uzbekistan. It, it, K K
3: two stems from what two cities? Karshi, which is a city of about 400,000 people in southern Uzbekistan, and Kanabad, which is a tiny little village just outside the gates of the former Soviet airbase that we set up on. So K-2. Yeah. In American, it's best to just keep it at Um, (laughs) K-2. Correct. (laughs) You're there, young guy,
2: you know, working on climbing the ladder to senior enlisted there. What the hell was that place like? How toxic
3: was it? You know, I, I kept journals. Uh, daily journals. I, I deployed four times to combat, and every time I kept—you call them war journals—but basically, literally writing down the date and the time, and here's what I did today. Spent about a week down in Bagram, and then they said, "Hey, you're getting on a C-17. You're going up to K2 in Uzbekistan." And off I went. And it was the middle of the night. It was late spring, so you know that's pretty—you know—high desert country. So think Las Vegas in April. Um, just smells different, <laughs> but it's similar, similar climate. Uh, and the, that back cargo door opens to a, a big wide tarmac and a bunch of uh halogen lights hanging over the airfield. And I just followed the line of dudes down through that kind of smoky, dusty plastic air. I call it plastic air because that you've smelled burning plastic before, it's what it smelled like there. And if, if I have any. Smell that can immediately bring me back to be at K2 or Bagram or Kandahar or Baghdad or, or wherever wherever I've served, it's that burning plastic combined with diesel smell, and what that smell is is both the the machinery of war and it's also the burn pits because that's that's what's happening. Those two things out of every war, the bullets don't ever fly, always fly, right That's only occasionally and really only about ten percent of the time, not even. But what we always did was we always burned our trash and we always burned our fuel. So that is what the bases smelled like. Um, yeah, I could be standing at a gas station. And if somebody's filling diesel three stalls over from me, I'm, I'm, I'm right back in, 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 in the fob, you know, circa 2003 or 2007 or 11 or 15, depending on which tour we're talking about. But once that back gate drops down off of that C 17, you walk down onto the tarmac, two MPs. Meet me, and they said you're the new CID agent. I said, "Where's the other one?" And they're like, "Well, he's already gone." <laughs> so they took me. They took me to my tent, and I slept what for what felt like two days. And uh, after that, I was the primary federal law enforcement agent at, at K2 for for the next year. It was an interesting base. Uh, it was an old Soviet air base, which all of our bases, our Kandahar was like that, Bagram was like that, Bishkek was like that. Uh, the Soviets had good infrastructure, and let's not forget, we're only there. The Soviets left in 89, brother. You know, this, this wasn't a long time ago. So at the time, this is a decade had kind of passed between the time the Soviets left and the time we took over. So yeah, there'd been some decay, but those runways were, were good to go. The American side of the base was set up where the Russians used to park their planes, right? So their MiGs and whatever. So there's, think, gra- you know, grass-covered bunkers with big metal doors. Special Forces Group had their own special compound within a compound um, off the one side of the runway, but, you know, adjacent. To the main base, the Air Force had their much nicer facility because their standards are higher than the Army. Uh, over, over on the <laughs> west side. Always the case. Always, brother. Come on, man. Air conditioning. Get out of here. Um, <laughs> they, I don't. Th- I don't know anybody in the Air Force that's ever been in a tent. No offense to anybody listening who was in the, in the Air Force. That's jealousy. <laughs> that is not criticism. That's je- pure jealousy. Amen. Amen. <laughs> but uh, um, there's probably a population at K two. If I had to hazard a guess, of right around a thousand permanent. Uh, permanent station ish. Um, we did a, We had a combination. We used some of their old bunkers for offices. Um, in those bunkers, uh, as it has turned out years later, uh, Yellow cake uranium was found in them, along with chemical weapons. Uh, about hundred kilometers to the north, uh, there had been two, and you'll you'll love this one: peaceful nuclear explosions. They, the Soviets had done two peaceful nuclear explosions within hundred kilometers upwind of uh, of K two. And uh, no, let's not also forget that 300 kilometers to the northwest was the Aral Sea, um, which was the, what, fourth largest inland body of water until they drained it to grow cotton. And Uzbekistan is still doing this. So you have this massive valley, think that va- Death Valley, um, except only recently empty of water and all of that wind pushing all that uh, debris and, and everything from the bottom of that, what used to be that massive lake and over the city of Karshi, and of course, over over K2, um, to the point that where the saline and the chemicals would make your eyes and your nose and your skin burn. I I remember that very vividly and looking back through my journals, seeing that. It is remarkable reading through there. It's uh, sunny, but I can't see the sun because of all the smoke. I'm going for a run. You know, uh, today, you know, I can't stop hacking. Uh, Today, I'm exhausted. I can't get out of bed. Uh, Today, my guts hurt so bad that you know it feels like there's a knife twisting in them and you don't think about that and i didn't think about it for 20 years until i was like oh that's that's fucked up like you don't know, <laughs> you you know you, yeah, most 20 year olds don't don't deal with that stuff so k2 was it was two things it was a ford deployed fob but it was also the nicest one i've ever been to k2 was a cakewalk man that ain't bagram that ain't downtown Kabul. That's not Aunt Kandahar. I was in Kandahar in early 03 uh, yeah. when there were about 700 people down there, and and going into the city and 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 doing some of those mission sets with with some of the, some of the some of the guys that are doing the real war fighting down there. I, w- I would tag along with them, and that's austere. So K2, that was our safe place, man. It's not right. Kandahar. It's not Bagram. That's that that's home base, right? We're safe.
2: Share with me two things, Skittles pond and black
3: goo in the ground. Yeah, man. Uh, In fact, my first tour, I remember I got there in the middle of the night, passed out my tent and the two dudes that picked me up. They uh, they took me on a a windshield tour of the base, which actually was just walking because it was it was a tiny place um, to build when they got there. When the combat engineers got there in the first September 14th or whatever it was, 2001, they evaluated the space. The State Department gets us the agreement with with Uzbekistan. We have combat engineers on the boots on the ground with SF in October, right? This is just a just days before we start the invasion of Afghanistan, right? Told the Taliban, turn them over, we're coming. And this is where the horse soldiers went, right? Those, those, the 12 strong, they met, they met at K two to build this place up. You know, it had been abandoned generally for about 10 years. They built a berm. So how do you build a berm? Well, you bring in bulldozers and you move the earth. You big you you dig holes and you push all that dirt up around the base. So you build it into a giant swimming pool, basically with these 20 foot berms on three sides so that it's defensible. Oh, by the way, that also provides you with drainage for this installation that you've now built. That hole became Skittles Pond, even though it doesn't rain for six months out of the year in that part of the Central Asian steppes. um, When it does rain, that pond fills. And of course your wastewater goes in there as well. But we call it Skittles Pond because it changed colors um, more, more than likely due to petroleum and other, you know, uh, waste that was flowing into it. But it changed color uh, depending on the time of year, depending on how much rain there was, uh, depending on on how hot it gets. You know, there's you could always smell it. You know, it has a I don't want to say it smelled like a uh, like a cesspit or something like that. It's, it, it had a very specific and unique smell that I've never, never really experienced before or since, but it was called Skittles because it changed all the colors of the rainbow, just like that ad when we were kids. Black Goo, as they started to build out the base by late 03, so the base had been open for two years. I'd been there about seven months. So they started building sea huts, kind of metal roof, wood frame buildings. Those are sea huts. And one of the reasons that they were raised up was because when it would rain, it would flood. But when they were digging this out, when they because these these places wound up having plumbing, and even though the water is non-potable, it was still piped. And as they were as they were digging those pipelines uh throughout the camp, they'd dig down about three feet, and those uh pits would fill with oozing black goo. Uh think molasses, think think cold molasses, but with a s with a smell and a presence that burned your lungs and your eyes, and then have that. On the presence with that kind of dusty alkaline smell and taste and then the diesel and that's what k2 was like um sludge literally leaking out of of the ground uh and ponds that change color during the day and and night and and by season and then you also had a sky that might be cerulean blue um but you'd never know it because of all the gray that 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 polar that, that hung hung around the camp.
2: Mm. All of these things lead us to know, as obvious as the nose on our face, that this base is full of toxic crap. Was there ever anybody while you were there that walked around with some kind of Geiger counter? Or did anyone ever give the levels of background radiation you guys were experiencing?
3: They did. Uh, and I remember very vividly, October and November of 2003, uh, they sent down... Some guys from uh, Chipham Europe, you know the, the, chem- the chemical guys down down from Europe to do exactly that to do an environmental survey, and I remember sitting in my office, and I remember being in there it's a beautiful morning, as beautiful as they can get, and uh, guys in full out biosuits um, came through with uh, the Geiger counters and like, like almost looked like tin cans that you'd have for paint, and they went through just taking measurements. Um, they set up a, uh, and I'd seen these uh, since in, in places down in Afghanistan, they set up sniffers, basically. It looks like a tripod with a microphone on it, kind of like what you got right there, except it is taking air samples and they do it over a period of time. So yeah, those those guys were there. We never heard anything else about that. I wrote about it in my journals. So I saw some dudes in bio suits walking around today. That's weird. Um, but 20 years later, when we started working with Congress, when I when I started talking to congressmen and especially the House Oversight and Reform Committee, uh, suddenly those documents were declassified, and they were dated 01 they were dated o one through o three, um, and the government knew from the beginning um, what what was there, what was what was measurable. Um, they, they did not come to any conclusion because they didn't do a full scientific you know, empirical research on it. But there was enough anecdotal data to suggest that it was dangerous in the long term, but necessary in the short term. And that's I'm paraphrasing this. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of documents, um, because once these were uh, once these were declassified, they acknowledged that there were 500 known carcinogens, um, that there was background radiation uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 times higher than what would be expected elsewhere, that there was yellow cake, uranium. But what they did in 03 is they classified everything. And it took 20 years to get that declassified. So there was, there was no proof. Uh, when I started all of this, the advocacy, I, I honestly thought I was alone. And I had a friend who, whom I'd stayed in touch with from the Army. And, and she said, hey, man, there's, there's a handful of, of people that are, that are up on Capitol Hill. And I happen to be in D.C. I worked for the federal government, so I was in D.C. for work. And she says, "Hey, man, there's there's some folks from K two. They're they're going up on Capitol Hill. So I called these guys up, and that afternoon wound up on Capitol Hill um, with with these guys and meeting with Congress. Three of them testified directly to Congress. I was uh, able to provide written testimony, and then it kind of took off from there. Um, that that was the beginning. We had it, this all started as a Facebook group it started by a guy by the name of PJ Widener, um, who himself has suffered through many, many, many um, different ailments." Uh, watched one of his best friends died and he was part of the SF community and uh just started a Facebook page to see how many folks um could just connect. And it kind of built from there. I got involved in late 2019 and here we are in you know, the the the, the later part of 2022 doing those things. But I, I thought I was alone in all this um because I didn't stay in touch with many people from my active duty days. But once I started talking to people. From my active duty days, I very quickly came to realize that uh, I'm not the only one; that I was not alone. And if there if there's any theme that runs through this for me, is that I did feel I was alone. And, I, and, and the most common remark we get when people find us on Facebook or where they where they listen to something like this or where they see it on television or whatever is, I thought it was crazy. I thought I was alone. And you know, I would say that 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 my advice to them is, so did I and you're not, um, and that the PACT Act, which I know we're gonna get into later, um, will do some things, but I I want people to know that for all the things it doesn't do, we will keep pushing until it does. Right on. Now it's interesting
2: how life sometimes throws something at you that you'd never expect. Just hours after I spoke with Mark, I did an interview with an Air Force veteran, Jim Lorraine. We were talking about something completely unrelated, mainly how his organization, America's Warrior Partnership, is dedicated to helping vets and has some incredible suicide prevention programs. But as we discussed his military career highlights, noting his time as deputy command surgeon for the United States Special Operations Command, he shared with me something about the government studies on the toxic exposures at K2 that left me speechless.
4: I commissioned when I was at SoCOM as the deputy surgeon. I commissioned the first study of of K two because we heard from our from the teams that were that had come on the ground initially that it was it was bad, and um, um, and then we we went through the intelligence we we layered the photos that we had had to figure out what was where on that base what had been there before the Russians had destroyed most of it. Um, and we were absolutely shocked um, at where we set up our ca- the camp, just off the runway. What had been stored there, and so then from that, um, I got a call from the commander, the JTF commander there, um, the, or the the combined special operations commander, who said, "There's something up. There's, the guys are getting sick. They got headaches." Can you send somebody out? So Chip Europe went down and um, did the first study. Mm. And and unfortunately, because we had commissioned it, SOCOM had commissioned it, the Army took it upon themselves to classify it. So it never got released. Gosh. And we were like, no, no, release it. It's okay. Oh, no, it's commissioned by Special Operations. We are like, it, it's not classified. <laughs> but they wanted to make it classified. Not us. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it came back to me. Was they came back because I was the one commissioned it? They came back to me and said, "Why did you classify it?" And I said, "I didn't. I classified it. I it was open source." And um, I went into I went into K two in 01, uh, December of 01, Um After we 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 had sort of we'd been there for a couple of months, we had done the study. I they went back. They weren't happy because there was no. There was nothing they were doing there was no um there was no prevention stuff and so i went they said the, the commander called and said you you're i want you to come here and you take a look at this and um he threw a piece of to- piece of bread into the under the dirt he goes if you think it's so clean eat it i said i don't think it's clean I, I, <laughs> you You know, I'm
1: not
4: the one. I'm not the but I'm not the expert. It's gotta be the Center for Health Promotion and Preventive Medicine out of Europe that makes the call.
2: And your first claim to the VA said that osteoporosis, anemia, this these rare infections you suffer from are not covered. So you just kind of are like, damn, my luck. I I don't have time to prove this service connection. I got a job. You're a federal agent at this point working for the government. Your wife and you have probably a fair income. So you don't necessarily get the VA benefits as your primary health care because of that. So then you go to the private marketplace. Blue Cross Blue Shield takes care of you for like a year. This osteoporosis medication, and they're not gonna cover another year of and the VA, as you know it, this PACT Act does not cover the remaining things. What the hell do we do brother? I mean, you go back to the VA, which is where you and I will go as a follow-up to this. I'll talk to the press secretary of McDonough's office. I know Terrence Hayes well enough to know that we'll have a conversation on this. When you and I maybe jump on a zoom call, but what do you do for the short term, bro? You're running out of medication. That's going to cost you five grand a month. Where do we take this fight?
3: I, you know, it's, it's, I can live with osteoporosis. Um, I can't live with a $60,000 a year medication. So I stopped taking the medicine. I think I have about 10 doses left. I did call blue after you and I spoke yesterday. I called Blue Cross Blue Shield again, and they basically kind of gave me the same runaround. Well, talk to your doctor. Maybe it's a coding error. Um, and of course, when I talked to the doctor's office, um, they're telling me it's an insurance issue. Um, so the, the bureaucracy, uh, even on the private side, Uh, Is is just as frustrating, perhaps more frustrating than than dealing dealing with the VA. But I, you know, I I do have a rating with VA. I'm I have a forty percent disability rating with VA, ten percent for uh, my thyroid. So thyroid's worth about one hundred twenty dollars a month, Uh, and then PTSD is thirty percent, which was puts me at about six hundred dollars a month. That almost covers my prescription medication that I take for all the disorders that you just you just mentioned. I take. You know, as of right now, especially having just gotten out of the hospital, I'm on you know 20 pills a day right now. I'm 45 years old, man. I you know I was telling my wife last night when I'm taking my you know third set of pills for the day. You're talking to somebody that runs ultra marathons, you know, as as a hobby. Uh, and mind you, this is just after I, I can show you. I know the audience can't see this, but this is a pick line. Um, this is this is my IV that goes to, it goes in my bicep, and uh, that's a catheter that goes into my heart. I'm a healthy uh, otherwise healthy 45 year old male, um, except for the catheter that goes into my heart that I have to deliver antibiotics to three times a day without missing a single dose. Yeah. And
2: let me just describe your tatted arm here with the white gauze bandage surrounding your bicep and this clear plastic tube that's run through your arm directly to your heart, where they can insert a needle a couple times a day and give you your meds as if you're on death's door. And here you had mentioned, yeah, you're a guy that runs marathons. That is, Has taken his health and made his health a priority his whole life and got just got hosed, man, got completely screwed by the government and by private industry. Can I ask, is there a way to go to the manufacturer of this medication who makes the meds? And if you can't go to Blue Cross Blue Shield. Which, again, I want to also note, CBS News has, and in Catherine Harridge's reporting, Blue Cross Blue Shield told us that we do not comment on the personal information of our members in accordance with privacy standards.
3: Yeah, well, um, I do.
2: <laughs> what, about, what about the manufacturer of the medication?
3: Can you share who that is? So, so the name of the drug is uh, Forteo. And uh, I'm looking up who makes it because they, they still own a patent on it because it's a relatively new new drug. Um, so I'm, uh, am act- the, the, issue that insurance has with it is that I'm a male with osteoporosis. That is what the no- denial letter said.
2: Yeah. Because it's uh, traditionally affects women. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's, uh, Lily makes it Eli Lilly and company, uh, makes it. Um, so the only, the only contact I've ever had with Eli Lilly, um, and, and you'll, you'll find this to be the <laughs> supremely ironic is, The cost without insurance is five grand, give or take. It's a little little bit less than that, about $4,800 a month. Insurance brings that down to about $400 a month. Going through Eli Lilly with proof of insurance, it costs me $4 a month out of pocket. Without insurance, all that goes away and we're right back to (laughs) $5,000. There's literally
2: $3,900 to shave off of fat between what the insured cost is. And that's not even a statement about the greed of Eli Lilly or of the insurance companies. That's just a damn statement about like the greed of the overall industry. There's a middleman somewhere making thousands on stuff that he doesn't even give the ability to transact. He's just... He, he, it's like a pharma broker or something. I believe is how these things get to market, right? There's the manufacturers, and then there's the brokers, and then there's the insurance companies.
3: Yeah, what? somebody's flying on their their private jet on my back.
2: <laughs> what <laughs> a damn scam!
3: <laughs> it's absurd, right? This, it's 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 Kafka esque. If it wasn't if it wasn't my body falling to pieces, this would be you know absolute comedy of errors. Um, you know, but, but, but here I am, I, you know, I, I'm pragmatic about it too, right? You know, I'm 45, let's be honest. I'm, I'm beyond middle-aged at this point, but I probably got 20 good years left in me. So I'll make some noise.
2: (laughs) Mark Jackson, army veteran and advocate for everyone that has ever stepped foot at K2 in Uzbekistan. I can't thank you enough for your time. I'll wrap it here because we have more to do together. We have more phone calls to make. We have more Zoom meetings to attend. We have more people to reach out to for comment, including Blue Cross Blue Shield and Eli Lilly, uh, the makers of the medicine. The fight's not over, but it's a shame we have to fight. I thank you so much for sharing with me the vivid images of what K2 must have been like. And, um, you know, we're going to continue. This is probably halfway through the marathon. I've never run a full marathon, but I imagine you get to be about halfway, and you're like thinking to yourself, "Damn, this is a this is long. There's still a yeah. lot more to go." But like a marathoner, I hope you definitely don't give up until we see the finish line at this. So um I thank you for sharing your story, giving them hell, brother. The living loophole to the PACT Act. Thanks, Phil. And anything else you want to add? Anything else you want to share with the uh, with the K two veteran community? Anything else?
3: I I tell you what, uh, if there if there is anybody listening you're eligible for the PACT Act if you serve between 01 and now. Um, so get, get in touch with your local VSO, be it the Legion, be it, uh, be it IAVA, be it uh, uh, VFW, um, get in touch with some of those larger VSOs. If you're a K2 veteran, go to uh, the strongholdfreedomfoundation.org. Um, we got links specific to K2 along with the legislation that has gone to help us. We've had, have had some success, right? we, this, this isn't a terrible story, right? We have uh, Donald Trump's second to last uh, executive order codified K2 Uzbekistan. Um, we were included in the omnibus bill that same month um, that came out of that uh, absolutely worthless Congress. But we did, get, we did get a little bit done out of that. And actually, I would I would go so far as to say every Congress has been pr- pretty worthless. You know, I, I, I don't I don't cast aspersions, Phil, but um, anytime someone tells me no, that doesn't hurt. Right. The worst they can do to me is say, no, they told me no for 20 years. Um, but what really gets me going is when they tell me no, because money and the best thing that your audience can do is reach out to their elected officials and hold them accountable. There are elected officials in the government who absolutely refuse to vote for this. Look at their voting records. I don't need to call them out. Look who voted against the PACT Act, both in the House and the Senate and then look at who's voting across the board against increased benefits for veterans and remember that what they say is that it's about money. And I know that almost everybody listening to this that served would do it all over again, but there was a deal. We get, it was a deal, we signed a contract and we honored our part of the contract up to and including death. Some of our friends got shot, some of our friends got IED. Some of us got shot with these diseases and that bullet's still bouncing around our bodies. So it's no different. So everyone needs to reach out and get that help. Not that you deserve, that you earn.
2: Right on. Get your appointments at your VA. Consult your VSO if you don't want to go it alone and continue the fight. Army veteran Mark Jackson. We'll give him hell, man. This ain't over.
3: Yeah, good. Looking forward to it, Phil.